This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Blockhash Exploring the Blockchain, episode 377. Today, I have Neil Sahota, the lead AI advisor to the United Nations here to talk about the state of AI in 2024 and what AI is going to look like here this year and in the near future and what he is seeing being worked on, being regulated, being put together behind the scenes. Neil, welcome to the show. Super happy to have you here. We're going to have a great conversation today. How you doing, man? Hey, man, I'm awesome. Looking forward to great conversation, and thank you for having me on the show. Pleasure is all mine, man. Um, tell tell me a bit more about yourself. I'm sure people are you know excited to hear from you, but I'm sure they also would like to know a bit more about your background, how you kind of wound up in this position that you're in today, um, and what what the overall basis of what you do is. So, give them a little bit of context. Look, happy to do that. I'll give people the short version, but uh, this whole thing happened by accident. I didn't plan any of this, never thought going into AI, but I know I'm dating myself for here, but almost 20 years ago, business intelligence was the big thing, right? Leveraging data, looking for insight, you know, and I was working at the time with a lot of global Fortune 500 companies. So I had guys like, you know, Warren Buffett, Michael Eisner, and Howard Schultz saying, Neil, it's amazing what machines are telling us. And it got me thinking, like, they're actually not telling us anything. I didn't say that to them. But I'm like, could a computer look at data and draw insight like a person could do? And so that kind of sent me down this whole path, developed a, you know, a bunch of IP, got some patents, this kind of stuff. I was trying to create a product around this. I got a call from you know IBM R&D but in 2006, asking about some of my work. And uh, next thing I know, they're like, look, we're, we just started a project about a week ago. You saw some problems for us. You want to join us? And the project's codenamed Watson. So I want to be part of the original IBM Watson team, which was kind of the trigger for the current AI wave that we're in. Long story short, did the Jeopardy challenge in 2011. I mean, that, that's how long ago some of this stuff has happened. And 
that was a game changer for a lot of people to see what actually cognitive computing AI could actually do. But I've always been a big proponent that this is not the realm of just technologists. This is a game, really that kind of a game changer. Let's enable people to understand how they can use not just technology, but create new products, new services, build, you know, entrepreneurial divisions or even for startups or big companies, new products, all new, all new ventures around this. And so I got really into the AI ecosystem development, got the attention of the UN in 2015, gave a big speech for the world leaders, got approached by the Secretary General and folks like Angela Merkel about what to do, and that birthed the whole AI for Good initiative where we're trying to use AI for the sustainable development goals, which people are not familiar with 17 goals for a better world, like zero hunger, access to justice, good health, 1.17. But that that's kind of my path over here is to figure out how we can actually use AI as a tool to help uh, not just social causes, but help businesses understand the next industrial revolution, as we call it, and evolve into the future here. That's really cool, man. So with AI for good, you're essentially looking to take AI and to apply it into those areas to either like amplify it or make it more of a reality, correct? That's right. Um, it's, it's no secret that in trying to meet these goals, we're about seven to $20 trillion short in funding. And we've seen that emerging technology like AI, like blockchain, like the metaverse, can be huge bridges to overcoming those gaps. And I can tell you in the last five years we've done projects, we've impacted over 1.1 billion people positively in the works that we've done. This is not about you know just policy and governance kind of stuff. It's about tactical solutions that help people on the ground. What are some of those technologies? You mentioned a couple of blockchain, the metaverse, that you see maybe pairing very well with something like artificial intelligence here in the near future. I've seen a lot of examples of it just in the like past year, but you know, with some of these technologies being that rudimentary and that early on still, um, you know, we have very simplistic solutions, but I, I guess as, as time goes on, you have more advanced AI and language learning models, more advanced uh, blockchains or chain ecosystems and more, advanced virtual reality or metaverse type environments um, that maybe you get some more complex solutions. Is there like any ideas that kind of come to mind, like looking five, 10 years down the future um, and seeing some of those things come together? For sure. We call that convergence. It's the stacking of these together to create exponential, exponential growth, but we're actually already there on some of these things. So you think about like healthcare, where you know globally we have a lot of issues, but we've already been able to combine things like AI, the metaverse, blockchain, and cognitive science to actually actually accelerate medical learning and training. So, for example, you've got you know doctors that they've been practicing for a while. There might be you know a case where they have to do a surgery they haven't done in like a decade and. Traditionally, what they would do is they'll go back, look at the textbooks, watch some video, past surgeries, try to be familiar themselves with that. But what we've actually learned and we've been doing for the last couple of years now is we can actually create in the metaverse 
a digital twin of these scenarios, a very interactive experience trying to perform these surgeries, but to have like an AI coach as well as an AI teacher kind of analyzing what they do, but to help them kind of refresh and understand, use the blockchain to track the data and make sure that what they're learning is actually proper and right. But what we've seen is traditional methods, it takes the doctor maybe about 10 hours of training to get proficient again. But with this convergence of technology, it takes them about 30 minutes to actually get proficient with AI, metaverse, blockchain, cognitive science. So imagine that, that your doctor, even though they haven't done it in a while, refreshes like that. I guess there's a lot of ways that that could be done. It'd be cool to, you know, be able to have that stuff like in virtual reality, right? Like in the metaverse, have doctors, teachers, performers, um, enthusiasts, professionals of all kinds, you know, be able to utilize some of those tools and reach a lot of people. Look, it, it is, but it's this is not like pie in the sky thinking anymore. This has actually been done over the last six years, and there's been enough benchmarking now that in the last eight, nine months, this thing has really taken off into a whole new trajectory, that it's not only accepted, trusted, but now there's talk within hospital systems and medical schools about expanding this out to not just, okay, refresh the skills for like surgery, but can we do this to treat, train doctors in bedside manner? Can we train this to look for different kinds of disease and illnesses especially those that might look similar to more common ones to help prevent misdiagnosis. At least in the U.S., one of the most popular ones is like the teledoctor one where you can, you know, get with a doctor like pretty quickly and you can pay like this subscription for it. And, you know, you can get seen by a doctor, diagnosed by a doctor, prescribed by a doctor all virtually. And I do think stuff like that is the future rather than having to sit in a waiting room and go through a long bureaucratic process just to see the doctor and have him tell you that you just need to sleep for four days. Um, and yeah, and from a training perspective, I think that will be huge, you know, reaching a lot more people and being able to immerse them and give them the opportunity to learn certain skills and techniques and methods um, for like being a doctor or being a professional, I guess, in any kind of field. I guess this could be broadly applied. Um, but it makes a lot of sense. And I do think that's where things are going to be going. Well, hundred percent. But I think, you know, going back to your earlier point, a lot of this is dependent on the kind of the truth and trust in the technology, right? You know, I, I talk to people and I always ask the question, like, if you had a choice between a human doctor or like an AI robot doctor, who would you see? Right. And, and most people, and I get it say, human doctor. You ask them why, and they're like, look, there's maybe something intrinsic or intuitive that they can understand, and that AI system could never pick up. But again, if you look at the raw math, today, a human doctor has a one out of seven chance of misdiagnosing you, right? It's not, not the best, but it's, it's not bad. We get it, look, doctors are busy, you talk about ERs kind of stuff, a lot of things are happening. You totally get that. If you look at like an AI robot doctor, one out of 100,000 chance of misdiagnosing you. So, you know, the question becomes is like, okay, well then why are we bridging the gap? And I think a lot of that has to do with just the, the trust, and the truth in the technology. And I think that's actually why I think it's really important 
to leverage things like blockchain where we can actually be able to show and prove to people like, look, we, there's a lot of robust training, a lot of things around diversity and all kind of stuff because like you think about a heart attack, those symptoms manifest very differently just in men and women. You know, that's a very high example, but those are things we have to think about is these different variations and use cases. That's something that actually ironically AI is better at understanding the divergence and the multitude of possibilities. You know, I know it's it's statistically in its math, but there's a lot of things that we consider as humans black swan incidents. And I get it, there's a thing like the doctor says like, well, you know, 9900 times that when I see these symptoms, it's X. But the truth is, is that X only happens 40% of the time. These are some things where AI can supplement, not replace those doctors and stuff, but supplement the knowledge to make more informed decisions for those human doctors. On the topic of informed decisions by AI and, and truth-seeking, it's, it's kind of funny when you look at where AI is at today. And like, let's take ChatGPT, for example. Um, it, it doesn't have the best track record of being 100% accurate or pulling the right sources or being a good fit for even something as critical as like healthcare. Um, there's, there's been a couple attempts by doctors to try and get something like ChatGPT or similar language models to use the resources it has. And that's, you know, ultimately the limitation. So I don't blame that language model entirely. But asking ChatGPT to diagnose a patient giving limited information, um, you know, it spits out some of the craziest things and it also kind of makes things up to fit its own narrative. Um, and there's actually a lot of interesting AI language, uh, language models out there, like uh, Google MedPalm, for example, where they're actually giving it real medical articles and journals and resources to look at um, that would make it, you know, potentially very handy for a, a doctor or a practitioner to use if they need to diagnose a patient more quickly and accurately. Um, the only thing I'd worry about is if a language model has the ability to, you know, critically kind of think about stuff like in the medical field, for example, sometimes as a doctor, you have to kind of work around this math problem of a patient. Like maybe there's all these symptoms, but there isn't anything really to link it to, you know, maybe you end up in like a, like a house scenario. I don't know if you've ever seen the show house. Um, oh, you haven't. I have, I have not seen it. I've heard about it, but I think, I, I think who we're going with this. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's, it's such a good show. It's a little dramatized, but there are situations like that in the medical profession where they're like, I don't know what this is. I don't know how to diagnose it, or at least in, in my mind, I don't know. So I have to ask another person, then another third party. And, you know, maybe an AI can help in a lot of those ways and save a lot of lives or help cut down on certain uh, fatalities or certain situations where patients need help faster in order to get better. Um, it also worries me, you know, maybe AI will fabricate certain things because that's what it, it thinks is the right way to go about it. And then maybe that could actually lead to bad consequences too. Um, so curious, you know, condensing that down, your thoughts on AI today and what's going to take for AI to kind of get to this point in the near future. But I think this is a big challenge, and one of the most misnomers about AI is that we expect the machine to be perfect, and it never will. We, we're not programming AI. That's not really how AI works, is that we teach it. 
and we're let's say we're flawed as teachers right we only teach what we understand and so our own biases especially implicit biases is going to pick up our own limitations ai is going to pick up our hope is that the combination we call it hybrid intelligence you know complementing human abilities with machine abilities creates better synergy that we can do something a little bit more accurately so like i remember working with sloan kevin back in the day looking at like chest x-rays could we detect lung cancer and so this is not just okay you can't program that into an ai but you have to give it large data sets say like okay it's not just lung cancer no lung cancer there's different stages there's shadows so it might look like cancer but it's a shadow so it's not really cancer bad angles kinds of stuff so the more variability more more data you need right but ultimately what panned out was that human doctor 50 percent chance of detecting lung cancer from an x-ray ai system 90 percent right but ai working with the human doctor you know flagging stuff and looking at it 98 percent chance of accuracy so it's the combination of both that's a really the most important so we can't forget that this isn't about you know like ai machines replacing human beings again it's just hybrid intelligence complementing what we're already doing and i can tell you working with a lot of especially global first five companies as much as they've gone in thinking like they'll be able to reduce headcount using some of these ai tools that really has not happened what they found is to be able to offload a lot of the grunt work but there's a lot more value add complex work that needs to be done where humans are better than ai and they've shifted people towards that work so it's been more of a, a retraining and get ready for the future of work than anything else that's one key consideration here the other is the bias factor that you know we expect machines to be 100 percent perfect that's just never ever going to happen one we teach the machines and we're already flawed but two i forgot who said it they're spot on all data is biased right i'll say it again all data is biased and we just don't realize some of that in my work with the United Nations, one of the biggest things they're focused on are like AI robot judges, right? Globally, yeah, globally, look, man, there's a backlog in courts. You've heard the whole thing about wheels of justice moving slowly. They do because there's just a lot of stuff going on. You look at even like family law and traffic court, all these things, huge, huge backlogs. And so it's like, could you really have an AI robot judge? And so we actually looked at this and like in the u.s court system there's a tremendous amount of data out there right so that's not a limiting factor but is the data biased right and if we ask the audience out there to respond back i suspect most people say like yeah and they talk about race and inequality around you know sentencing all those kinds of things and, and to be right but we actually studied this and you know what the biggest bias that actually existed how hungry the judges is we actually benchmarked this the more hungry the judge is 
the more harsh they are in the ruling and sentencing. Well, that makes sense. You get hangry. I mean, <laughs> oh, absolutely. I get it. the low blood sugar. You know, other baby health. But how do you strip that bias out, man? How do you do it? You know, we thought about like, well, we could look at. We have timestamps. We look at that and factor it out. But we have no idea if that judge had a big breakfast or a small lunch or you know what happened. There's all we can do is try and mitigate some of the bias. We can't solve the bias. And I think that's where a lot of people struggle is that they want the machine to be perfect. It's like my example of the human doctor versus the AI robot doctor, right? They're like 100,000 chance is unacceptable, maybe 100% perfect. It's just not possible. I don't want to freak everyone out, so I apologize, but I like to ask you, I like to ask the question, you know, that it's it's the same thing. You think about airplanes. What's the acceptable failure rate for an airplane? In an ideal world, zero. Yeah, it, absolutely zero, but that's not physically pro- possible, right? There's an acceptable number. I can't share it. I assure everyone it's a very, very small number. But there's a there's an acceptable failure rate for airplanes, and people freak out when I say that. That's just the way things work. We know that nothing is perfect, and so that's why I think people are a little bit flabbergasted. So it's you're seeing as more businesses now are trying to understand it's it's not about trying to achieve perfection. It's not trying to worry about like well if the AI makes a mistake what happens. It's about the combination of human and AI working together. Is that more accurate than what we already have? And that's what we should be striving for. Do you have any worries or concerns about being about bias being injected into AI? Uh, oh. There's been a lot. There's been a lot of people concerned about it um, in the past couple of years, especially with uh, ChatGPT. Obviously, there's been a lot of political things injected and things like that. And um, but people worry about you know if we have an AI that's crucial to society, maybe it's you know, a judge on the Supreme Court. Maybe there's an AI that's a leading doctor at a hospital or an AI that's working in this profession, that profession, whatever it may be. If they have some kind of intrinsic bias, it doesn't even have to be politically biased. It could be, you know, just one direction or the other for something that is on a fine line. Um, That could potentially be bad for a lot of people for a lot of reasons. Um, it could also direct society in one direction and take away uh, freedom of choice for a group of people. Is there any concern, you know, AI having that, you know, built into it by humans? Obviously, humans are fallible. We are not perfect. We just discussed that. <laughs> um, uh, what, what What's the level of concern there as we develop out a more better robust version of a language model so 100 percent worried about it risk level is high and i think not for the reasons that people think you know bad actors are going to do bad things people that you know want to alienate whatever communities for whatever reason right unfortunately can do that you know conversely people that want to increase accessibility can also tap into ai to do that but the bigger fear is the implicit bias those things that we don't actually consciously understand that are actually factored into this that's what concerns me and a lot of people the most because 
we, we don't even understand how that factors into our decision making. You know, I, I hate to pick on the Red Cross. So they, they owned up to this, but, you know, it was a few years ago, pre-pandemic, they released a, a safety poster, put on all these public pools, that kind of stuff. And it was a little, you know, cartoonish, but they're trying to show kids, like, good behavior, bad behavior at pools. So, you know, hopefully incentivize people to do, you know, the kids' good behavior. I'm sure this went through a lot of reviews, all this kind of stuff, but the bottom line is, is they released that poster, got published, and they got lambasted very quickly in a couple of days because they're like, people came back and said, why is it that all the good behaviors in the poster are done by white children and all the bad behaviors are done by children of color? You know, and to the credit, the Red Cross looked like, oh, my God, we totally didn't see that. You know, they, they pulled it, you know, they tried to correct it. Don't know why it happened, but that's something that may be subtle, maybe not, that was out there, right? And that's the challenge that we have is that we may not be trying to do something intentionally, but we can teach AI some of these bad things. And so... That's why we're really worried about this. Like the court system, we're talking about like here's all the precedents about the cases and the sentencing when they're found guilty. Forget about making the, the actual judgment, right? We've seen things like where, you know, there were, I can't remember the schools anymore, but there were two foot, college football players, both accused of date rape. They were both ultimately found guilty and convicted, but there was one guy at you know, I think it was Louisiana, 10 years prison time, right? Both the same kind of stuff, said, boom. Other guy was over in the, you know, Bay Area of California and six months of probation. You know, it's like the, yeah, if you just raw gave this to the air, you're going to go, okay, same profiles, very similar profiles, very similar cases, What's the difference between the two people then? Well, one guy was white and one guy was African-American. And so you're going to, without, you know, that, you know, proper training, diversity of people doing the training, different perspectives, the AI is going to pick up on some of these things. If it appears often enough, we're going to transfer these implicit bias into the machine. And that's what really concerns me the most. On the flip side, we're conscious about this. We can try and mitigate it. We can't eliminate full bias, but the uh, the HUD in the U.S., the you know the, the Office of Housing and Urban Development, is really now trying to push more AI tools into mortgage applications, particularly the analysis and approval process, because what they found is the AI is actually less biased than humans. So if you blind the name. Humans are still looking like, well, this person has this kind of job, and so they make some associations about it, or this kind of neighborhood. Whereas, you know, the AI, what the HUDs realize when benchmarking this is that it's a math equation. If this whole thing is an actuary table, it's a math equation. The AI is really good at that. It doesn't matter what their job is. It doesn't matter their neighborhood. They want to, they want to you know, X. They're going to pay X for the house. Y and down payment, Z and in income, do the math. So there's good, but there's also bad to this. And that's, I think, where we struggle. And this is not AI trying to be good or evil. It doesn't understand the difference. It's about us as humans 
trying to teach the machine understanding our own foibles and flaws the process. Is it better to let to give AI access to information, anything out there to the internet, to medical journals and files, to um, to documents in the law field or case studies or court cases or you know anything that might be out there in different professions, then just kind of let it go and let it learn? Or do you think there needs to be a human element there to, to teach it how to interpret those things? There definitely needs to be a human element, right? I mean, if you just let it out, the, the, the universe of the internet, think about one, the amount of conflicting information, but do you want AI to think that like the National Enquirer is a trusted resource, right? Some of these extreme media outlets that they don't care about necessarily truth or facts as a trusted resource. So we talk about like AI and the training, one of the things we always emphasize is the ground truth is the most important thing. And the ground truth is the rules we give to AI on how to make decisions. So we don't tell AI what the decisions are. We give it rules on how to actually try to figure this out. It's much like you have a three-year-old child. You want to explain to the kid the difference between good and bad behavior. You can't just list out an infinite number of examples. You can't wait for something to happen and be reactive. You have to teach the child some basic rules so they can make decisions on their own, something, you know, very high level. And I'm really oversimplifying this, but you tell the child, like, something that helps people is good, something that hurts people is bad, right? We know we can dissect that seven ways to Sunday already, but that's what you really have to do with AI. That's why that ground truth is so important. So bad actors we know, and they've already done this, have weaponized the technology, but the rest of us, that are trying to do something hopefully positive or at least beneficial have to really factor into then what makes that ground truth up. Have you ever seen the movie I robot with Will Smith? I have good movie. It's a good movie. Um, they have a similar concept in the movie where the AI as well as the, the robots in the movie are governed by these laws and these laws kind of keep it within a box so that it can't do bad things um, or interpret things in a certain way or make certain critical judgments that might be detrimental to humanity or to society. Um, and I know this is Hollywood, but it, it's good because it makes you think, you know, in the movie, you know, the AI, he was called like Vicky or something like that, um, had enough consciousness to decide that it didn't want to follow those rules. You know, could there could we get to a point where we build language models or an artificial intelligence program that is able to make a judgment like that? Like, is that something straight out of Hollywood or is that something feasible in the near future? So theoretically, is it possible? Yes. In actuality, are we going to achieve that? The honest truth is no one knows. We're not anywhere close to it. It's something we call AGI, Artificial General Intelligence. Very few people are even working on that. That's that's the thing. There's this whole thing about, like, you know, we call it the Terminator scenario. Like, will AI reach the point of singularity? Will become self-aware, you know, smart to the humans? 
will it follow the path of like Homo sapiens and eradicate the appreciate previous species, which is us? I I'm really doubtful is that it's actually going to happen. You know, e e even more people work the AGI. You you always hear the things like we're fifty plus years away from that happening, where people are actually channeling their efforts are into the cyborg future, which is actually what I believe in, in that we're actually trying to augment our own human abilities with machine abilities so even beyond hybrid intelligence but we've already seen things and i've worked on some of these things but like you know you lose a hand or something can you replace that with a robotic limb that you can essentially control with your mind and to a basic degree we can actually do that there's been experimental surgeries i think a dozen of them now where people that are vision impaired like blind we can actually put digital cameras into their eyes and transmit the signal into the brain. It's it's black and white and it's grainy, but it's a level of vision and it'll get better over time because you know technology always gets better and the cost comes over. So you have more people more focused on how do we actually augment ourselves as humans to become cyborgs than working on singularity. There's this uh, video game called Cyberpunk 2077. I don't know if you've seen much of it uh keanu reeves was like a huge part of promoting that video game he's like in the video game and um it's like this um futuristic dystopian city where everyone can like augment their their body and they can have these robot arms and eyes and things and weapons and <laughs> um whatever you can imagine um it it, it kind of gives me like these interesting I don't know, like RoboCop vibes. <laughs> like maybe there's going to be a future where everyone is enhanced or everyone has like certain types of um, external mechanics applied to them. Maybe, you know, that makes their life better. Like maybe they can walk again. Maybe they can see again. Maybe they can hear again. Or maybe it's something that amplifies their life. Like maybe they can jump higher or maybe they can live a little longer or breathe underwater. I, I don't, I don't know what that'll look like, but what do you think the reality is of where maybe we can take that? Like, do you think we'll go like full on science fiction and everyone will be like fully augmented in some kind of way? Or is it more of a practical timeline where it's solving real problems, real ailments, real uh, physical distortions that we have to fix? It's a great question. I mean, I, I wish I could say it was just about fixing problems and helping people with health issues, but the truth is, is we're moving already beyond that. I mean, you're talking about people that want, you know, can we have humans and help humans process infrared spectrum, x-ray spectrum? So, I mean, like cybernetic eyes, you know? And I think this goes more to that cyborg future and extended life. So we're not even talking about humans being able to live a couple hundred years. People are talking about, can we make people live a thousand years? Can we download your brain and put it into a robot? You know, whether we can ultimately or not, we'll see. But there's now a huge concern around just accessibility and cost. Because, like, you know, the, the, the surgery, like I said, with the, you know, putting the digital camera in the eyes, the, you know, robotic arm. It's not cheap right now. Hopefully over time it will get better, but the question becomes is then who can afford this and who should get this? And if it becomes basic medical care, do we enable access that we do that to make it actually happen? So there's a lot of existential questions even around the cyborg feature that 
I think we're not ready. The the ironic thing is we're living in a time of what we call hyper change. You know, we, we know things change is happening faster and faster, but we're in a period now of the fourth industrial revolution with all these emerging technologies that we're about to experience a hundred years worth of change just in the next ten. And we're still as a society a reactive thinking mindset. We wait for things to happen, like, okay, oh, this happened. Okay, let's figure it out. Make sure it doesn't happen again. We can't do that anymore. At, at this point, things happen at such a scale and impact, it's too late. If we're not proactively understanding what could happen, it's already too late. And I think that's where we're seeing a lot of the struggle. So cyborg, Terminator, singularity, extinction event, all these things, the great things to talk about, but there's just things on the ground right now happening like, you know, health, basic healthcare kind of stuff that's happening or things even in, in law or politics or even our advertising or deep fakes that um, we're behind the curve on. Yeah, the, the deep fakes scare me the most right now because then you just don't know what to believe anymore because they look so real. Um, that, that, that stuff is very eerie. Oh, we just saw that, you know, there was a deep fake audio of President Biden in the New Hampshire primary telling people not to vote, right? And it, hopefully it was caught, hopefully quickly. Was, there's another incident with a, a famous uh, influencer in Canada, and they were saying she was saying all these things, which wasn't. But the bigger problem is it's so easy now to do, do deep fakes is that what does the average person do, right? If you're you're not a well-known celebrity you don't have the resources of these other folks you can do catastrophic damage just in 24 hours to somebody now and that's that's become the bigger concern is that we're again behind the curve on this yeah it feels like we're entering the singularity in a lot of ways like i'm i'm a huge fan of ray kerr as well i think he was way ahead of his time on a lot of this stuff and i think he was pretty spot on about where things would advance and how um, now I don't know if like the full idea of the singularity will come to fruition, you know, by, you know, the 2040s or whatever he predicted, I have to go back and reread, but, um, it seems like a lot of that stuff is happening and very quickly, like we're living in this reality that did not exist 10 years ago at all. Um, at least not publicly. So it's, it gets a little scary at times because you see all these things popping up. You have deep fakes and then AI and then. Tesla's creating a robot, and <laughs> it's it's like, where do we go in another 10 years? Well, this is the interesting thing, right? We, dichotomy. We, we're talking about AI and all these things and defakes and what we do. But at the same time, AI is a powerful ally in combating some of these things or jumping ahead of it. You know, one of the great things about AI is that it can, you know, look at, you know, millions of scenarios in a time frame. We can only think of three or four scenarios. You know, it's looking at things that mathematically that are very possible, but yet as people, we think it's a black swan type of event. And so we're seeing, again, more convergence with AI and IoT and the metaverse, the cognitive science, and these things to actually try and simulate what potentially could happen and literally run through millions of scenarios to find the optimal solution, hopefully jump ahead of a crisis situation before it actually happens. But again, that's, again, another big mindset shift that a lot of organizations aren't quite there yet. And again, they're thinking like, well, 
how can AI do that? That seems the realm of people. But again, it's just not AI doing something better than people. It's AI supplementing our ability to consider different scenarios. It's hybrid intelligence. And so you see, you know, the organizations that are embracing that and leveraging these capabilities that are actually advancing ahead. Ironically, mining companies, you know, like, you know, like Rio Tinto and, and Grupo Ball and Anglo Americans are at the forefront because no one believed sustainable mining, it was possible. Just the very nature and the environmental impact, but because they've actually done this kind of convergence, they found better ways of mining, yeah, maintaining profitability, improving profitability, but limiting environmental impact, reducing safety concerns. All these things are actually possible. It's just most of us don't quite believe that yet. We don't think it because we don't think it's possible. We don't see the opportunity. Yep. And soon we'll be mining asteroids. Oh, I, I think I, th- I think it was China about to launch a mission around that. So we'll, we'll see in the future. Um, unfortunately, we'll have to start wrapping up the episode here soon, but I want to touch on one or two things here before we do. I know you mentioned that uh, the EU parliament was working on um, a set of regulations around AI. Um, maybe you can tell us a bit more about that and maybe what we can expect. Yeah, so the EU parliament is working on something they call the AI Act. And so it's really trying to understand the, the interactions and the transparency of how AI is being integrated into business and how that actually influences uh, people and their decision-making process. So we live in the digital age where there are no boundaries. So even though other countries may not be considering this quite yet, uh, whatever the EU winds up deciding here, and it sounds like the next few months this thing will actually pass, we'll create a set of restrictions, constraints, some good and some people will say bad, on what can be done on a global basis. So it's, it's not trying to curtail the rapid way of change we're going into, but trying to get us to start thinking about what could possibly happen. So it's, it's a big step, um, you know, for all, all the things that's going on in the world and some of the pushback on China, they've actually also been in the forefront of pushing for more global regulation, realizing that there's a lot of things people are working on that they don't even fully understand what they're doing. You know, the Biden administration, you know, passed their, their guidelines around AI, at least for government agencies. So we're starting to see some of the first steps. But I think the truth is, is what the EU is doing with the AI Act is a major real step towards actually doing that. So this is not about trying to inhibit, but trying to, you know, direct and guide where we're going to go in the future with AI. Interesting. Do you think that that'll be used as maybe a blueprint for countries like the U.S. to implement some set of framework as well? I, I think so. I mean, someone has to be first. I'm glad they're doing that. But I know, like, the state of California is already looking at the EU Act. So much like the EU passed GDPR a few years ago, and California passed their kind of own version of it, we're kind of seeing the same thing. And at least the political adage in the United States is, as California goes, the rest of the country goes. And given that California is a home to most of the big tech companies, it's interesting sign of what may come. So... A lot of the concerns that we have about kind of it's a cowboy society out there, the EU Parliament embracing this AI Act is a major first step into kind of corralling and finding that balance between regulation 
and innovation. Last question. When you're talking to the UN about AI, I know you mentioned this a little bit ago at the beginning of the episode about AI for good and some of those initiatives. Is that the main focus on what you emphasize with them, how to apply AI for good in good ways to certain industries, to amplify them, to make them a reality, um, to help in certain areas of the world or help people, help humanity? Um, or do you guys talk about you know other things as well, maybe risks of AI or potential best practices for AI or AI affecting, you know, the job uh, base, you know, for different industries. What's the breadth of things that you look to cover when you're addressing them and, you know, in a way, educating them? It's a good question. And it runs the gambit, right? The, the reason we started calling it AFR good, AFR good was that at the time, there was a lot of fear mongering, right? Obviously, there's a lot of commercialization and trying to figure out ROI from a business standpoint. There's a lot of fear about loss of jobs and all well, the Terminator scenario. But we want to try and help people understand that this could also be used as a tool to create positive benefits. But we do look at policy regulation. We look at the impact on the labor force. We have a variety of initiatives that you know I work with a lot of the member nations on workforce development, both future and current you know, retraining of the workforce. But we also have a duality on this. So while we talk a lot about AI for good, we also look at what we call AI for bad. The, all the negative impacts and the misuses, and that's one of the big things is that I think a lot of people forget about this is lots of smart technologists, but they build towards an outcome. So they're building towards X, they're not thinking about other uses or potential misuses. I, you know, I like to use drones because obviously I travel a lot for work. When drones first came out, it's like, okay, it's great. You can survey land, do some of these things, but no one thought about like, well, someone could fly that to airports. You know, that could suck the jet engine, plane crashes, or it could be over your backyard taking video of your small kids. That's not cool. The thing is, when drones were getting developed and the video technologies getting developed, no one thought of those use cases. And so we think about AI for bad. We also look at all the great tools that we have. Yeah, how can we use them for positive impact, but how could bad actors use them for negative impact? And how could these things be used in ways that weren't originally thought of, like other uses that is, that's not out there? And that's the main goal over here is that we understand the breadth of possibilities or ready for it in advance, the proactive thinking. Neil, this has been a fantastic conversation. I really do think we could probably go for hours on end. I have <laughs> a lot more questions uh, out of this, which is good. So maybe sometime here in the near future, maybe we can do a part two episode and dive into some new topics. Um, but I really do appreciate you taking the time to come on. I know you're a busy guy. Um, Again, really good conversation. I think a lot of people will pull a lot of good value out of this around understanding AI and what it is and what it means and where it's going. Um, and, you know, some of the truths, some of the fallacies and, you know, I think what to expect um, of the technology. So thank you for all the great work you do. And thank you for sharing and contributing. And um, let's do this again soon. Absolutely. My pleasure to help. I'm looking forward to the next conversation. Likewise, man. All right. Take care.